continues, it is left, right, and center with uh, Jeff Metz and Bob. Jeff Metz. <laughs> you see, you guys are, you guys are coming so... Going to Cuba too long, yeah, I'm man. telling you, really. <laughs> Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer are with us on the program, as they always are, and good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I missed you guys last week. I missed this... Uh, I'll bring us next time. Yeah, 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 that's a problem, this all. Yeah, no problem there. Um, for those of you who perhaps have not heard this before, this is a regular weekly feature wherein uh, the three of us take a look uh, generally at an issue of the day, sometimes more than one, sometimes from the left and the right and the center. Other times we just kind of kick it around and see what happens. Uh, but this morning, a, a rather unusual turn, uh, Mr. Metz has a complaint. So I, I turn the floor over to you, sir. Yeah, I've been holding this in for two weeks, Jim. I mean, you were gone to Cuba last week, and I wanted to have my say last <laughs> week, but we, but unfortunately you weren't here. I mean, the day after the last show that we did together, mm -hmm. uh, I turned on the radio and I just heard you mentioning my name on the air and mm -hmm. saying that I wouldn't disagree with you about what you, or I would disagree with you about what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And you were absolutely right, I do totally disagree with you. Um, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I believe you were interviewing um, a journalist or an editor yes. from McLean yes. magazine. Who'd written a story about Archer Daniels Midland, a, a huge international conglomerate that had been convicted repeatedly of, uh, of uh, some very serious price fixing with, uh, in coercion with other companies around the world. They monopolized the particular market and then, and then set the prices much higher than, uh, well, I'm much higher than what I don't, much higher than the American and the Japanese, uh, to mention two governments thought was appropriate. And I think, the, I think the way I did take your name and not in vain, was that I made some reference to being a committed capitalist myself, but unlike my, my good friend Bob Matz, I don't believe that, that, that unfettered capitalism necessarily is the, uh, will lead us to a, I don't know what I said, but that was the gist of it. That, uh, I, my sense was that I'm prepared to probably accept a few controls on capitalism on the free market that you're not prepared to well, accept. I'm going to argue that the free market is the control and that any other attempt at trying to control prices is going to backfire in our faces. Okay. Especially when you go to the biggest price fixer that exists to try and stop price fixing and that's the government. Mm -hmm. The government fixes prices. That's mm -hmm. what it does. It fixes prices in health care and education and prescription drugs. It puts up marketing boards to say nothing of taxes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these things are price fixing. Mm -hmm. But we, we say nothing about that. Well, so when two companies get together and say, listen, if you're charging uh, 10 cents a widget, we're going we're gonna to charge 10 cents a widget too. Like, who cares, as long as the consumer is willing and able to pay for that. Well, what is, doesn't that kind of fly in the face of what you've always said, there's, that competition is at the heart of, uh, of a free market? Where's the competition there? Well, that is competition. How is that competition? The market, the market is always in play. If, if some people are... Look what happened to the oil companies or the uh, governments of the Mideast when, when they you know, created their artificial oil shortage by price fixing, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, it collapsed. It can't, because there's always going to be one upstart who's going to say, I can sell that at a lower price and make a heck of a lot more money than you guys. And because he knows he's got profit at the end of that chain, he's going to drop his prices. But as long as the market is free. No, not necessarily, Bob. Let me tell you, let me paint you a scenario that I, where I think that doesn't work. And, and it may very well apply to this one. If you have uh, a number of large corporations around the world who are working together in this and they have managed to dominate the production of this product they're not digging it out of the ground it has to be manufactured and my understanding is it takes some fairly sophisticated equipment to manufacture this mm -hmm. now in theory as you say if they price it higher than 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 the than the consumer is happy to pay i won't say willing to pay but happy to pay yes in theory somebody else could come along and make it and sell it cheaper and, and put them out of business but the, re the reality is that's not going to happen and here's why 
Suppose, and I don't think this is an unreasonable supposition, you're talking a capital investment of hundreds of millions or perhaps billions of dollars to, to build these new factories to build this stuff. And let's suppose you're the new guy who says, well, I'm going to sell it cheaper than these guys. In order to do that, I've got to make this huge capital investment, but I'm going to make the capital investment because the free market tells me I'll be able to undercut them, I'll get all their business, I'll be a happy camper. Halfway through his construction, these guys, also in collusion, decide that, well, we don't want this guy doing this, so what we're going to do is we're suddenly going to lower that price that we've colluded on. In fact, we can afford to lower it, be, be below our cost of production because we've made so much money on it well, during the time we've had this, uh, this monopoly on it. We can afford to sell it a loss for two or three years. We're going to run this guy into the ground. He's going nowhere because he can't afford to do that. Now, I submit to you in that situation, the free market is not in play, nor can it come into play. The free market was working perfectly in your example. They're selling at a loss. That means consumers are getting a deal like they never had before, all because that one guy took a risk. Now, he might lose his shirt. He's going to lose his Fine. shirt. But, he's, but the point is, he's not going to take the risk, because if he's an intelligent businessman, am I going to risk a, a billion dollars to take on Archer Daniels Midland when I know that any moment, at any well, point in my program, they can just cut their price by two-thirds. That's what two people thirds. said about Bill Gates when he was going to take on IBM and things like that. You know, it, it's, it's, you have to have a better plan. And I submit to you that the reason it's not happening is not because of all those things you said, but because the companies who, are, who have the domination of whatever, the production of whatever you're talking about, are still charging a price that the public is willing to bear. And that's the key. Um, you know, often I talk to the left wing, and when I talk about the marketplace gives everyone a, a vote every day, mm -hmm. their common response is, well, poor people can't vote. They don't have any money, right, in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a powerful vote, not having any money. Because if you don't have any money, you can't be my customer. But, but and I want you to be my customer. And so I'm going to do everything I can to expand my customer base so that I will lower prices to get more customers and make more profit. It's in everyone's interest to sell to as wide a customer base as possible. Well, not entirely and not always. And I'll give you another example. There was a cigarette a paper company in the United States that has a local connection that I won't go into. Um, these individuals bought this cigarette paper company because the uh, anti-tobacco and all this sort of stuff, the, the value of the company was depressed, um, although everybody knew that, that they, they sold a ton of these papers to people who smoke marijuana, because that's how most people who smoke marijuana, I'm told, is how they do it. They rolled it in cigarette papers. Mm -hmm. These fellows bought the company that had, for a number of years, been uh, competing with another major company, another major uh, uh, cigarette paper company. There's basically two big ones, and this was one of the two big ones. Um, they then looked at their market and said, you know, we probably can't grow our market a whole lot. We can steal a little bit of business away from the other guys, but I got a better idea. Why don't we just simply raise the price? Because we'll follow Bob Metz's idea that as long as the consumer is willing to pay the price, as long as they're willing to pay it, then there's nothing wrong with the price. So they put the price up by 10 cents one month, and so did their competitors. And the next month by another 10 cents, and up 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 it went. Uh, their sales didn't fall off because their consumers well, you know needed, what that means? needed the product. That, mean, that means that they were totally underpriced to begin with, and they didn't realize it. That the demand for their product was so high they had no idea until they tested the price at a certain level. But that still doesn't negate the process. If people, I mean, there's a lot of things that for which we have what we call an inelastic demand, basics that you need to survive. Jump in any time here, Jeff. Help me <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. But, uh, 
fundamentally, it's interesting as you're talking about this stuff, it sort of reminds me of, um, I had seen John Ralston Saul uh, speak uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Toronto, and he talked about uh, uh, corporate morality and whether there is such a thing. And uh, I'm, I'm also reminded of um, seeing uh, Matthew Barrett speaking last year. Um, I can't remember who he's, who he's being interviewed by, but uh, past chair of the Bank of Montreal. And she said, well, what are your goals for the year? And, she said, and he said, well, my goal is to increase market share. That's what it's all about in this business, is getting as much market share as you can. And uh, that sort of takes me back to, um, I recently read a book uh, about uh, American entrepreneurs, and they were talking about John D. Rockefeller, and how he was successfully able to corner the market in um, petroleum products with Standard Oil in the late 1800s. And his goal was to, to corner the market so he could raise prices way beyond sort of what his costs of production were in order to make a lot of money. And that sort of got the, the Teddy That's Roosevelt going on the trustbusters. Yeah, it is. And uh, Nothing wrong with that. What, what ended up happening was that uh, I think the American government has been one of the most interventionist governments when it comes to um, dealing with, with price fixing. But what they say is, we'll stay out as long as things are going along where there's intense competition. But when it looks like competition is threatened because one player has been able to, to get so much of the market that they can dominate it and, and kill off the other competitors, that's bad for business. So business, uh, the, the business side of government is going to come in and say, no, the rules are that you can't have the whole market. You can have 20%, 30%, maybe 40%. But you know what Beyond that, is? that it's anti-competitive. That's wishing for a result without understanding the process that will give you the result. And These are smart guys who do it. Well, no, they're not very smart because it didn't work. <laughs> Everything they did backfired on them. And, and the reason someone corners the market is because he's given the consumer what he wants. He's giving them everything they want. Bill Gates has cornered the market on Windows 95, not because he cornered it. It's his market. No, the it's idea. his product. It's his creation. And he can do whatever he wants with it. And to look and watch these antitrust people going after him and, and the little nuances and things that they're picking on to decide whether this man has committed a crime of some sort, some sort of economic crime, I, I think is disgusting. It's his product. He can take it off the market if he wants. He can can Windows tomorrow if he wants. And then what are you going to do? But, 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 you know? I'm just, I want to interject for just for a second, and I'm not all that up on the, on the Gates case, but there are a couple of things that seem to me need to be addressed here. One is, my understanding is a, a great part of the concern of this had nothing what to do with what's nothing to do whatsoever with windows it was the other programs that he insisted people buy if they wanted windows now you will say i'm sure well they had the option not to buy windows well you may not have that option if that's what you're using at work if that's what all your friends are using and you want to stay plugged in where then is your choice your choice is right at the point you 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 made your first choice it's like saying Okay, I got married at, at a certain age, and well, I don't have to have my, keep my commitment two years from now because things aren't going the way I want, or the price is too high. No, 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 it's not the or, same thing at all. You, you, keep, you keep talking about a free market where everybody is free to choose. Right. All right, if I'm a consumer, and, I, and, and everybody around me is using a particular product, now, I didn't choose for them to use it. They made that choice. Now, I am, in a sense, if I want to communicate with them, I am forced to buy the product. Now, I have no problem, personally, buying the product. The, the complaint against Gates was that he forced me to buy a lot of other things that I did not need in order to get his product, which I did need. I had to buy all these other things that I did not need, and I did not have the option. I did not have a free market option of saying, gee, Bill, I want to buy Windows, but I don't want to buy a Netscape or whatever the other thing was that people have been screaming about. Well, that's where Gates asked for trouble, because it's, it's one thing for him to dominate the market, and uh, you know, Windows and DOS has dominated microcomputers now since the early 80s, uh, you know, and he has 95% of the market, and nobody's actually taking issue with that. They're saying, great, you know, it's good that you've been able to do that. It's not until he starts cheating and doing these sneaky things that people 
people get wound up. There was that other thing with Windows, I can't remember which one it was, where it came out that uh, there was a thing in, in the Windows communication software which would allow Microsoft to go into your hard drive of your computer at home while you were online mm -hmm. and, and check out all your software yes. and find out yeah. all your information and all this stuff. And that's where they get into trouble. You know, it would be one thing if you would say, look, we're just going to have tough, hard competition. We're going to sell at the lowest price we can. We've got a great product. We're going to sell a lot of it. And everybody says, great. But there's something about power that seems to corrupt. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it's that he wants to... Actually, I think he was reacting to market demand because... As I said before, when you were on the other systems and then you then you got basic DOS or Windows 3.1 and then you always had to find out that to do this, you needed this other program. To do this, you needed the other one. And every step of the way was a nightmare for the consumer, so Gates reacted to that, and that's all he's done. And now everybody else is twisting that around and turning it around and making it sound like, oh yeah, he's forcing himself on, on the market and that he owns the market. But Bob, he is when forced, we, he when did we force himself on the market. I, with all due respect, but, I think but in a, a little... in, a, in a legitimate way. Just like we're forcing ourselves on the radio market right no, now. No, 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 it's not the same thing at all because they can turn the channel. If you wanted to buy his word product, you could not buy his product unless you bought these other products with it. It was not the same. Well, you couldn't change the that's channel. That's the way it's available, and you just buy the package as it is, and if you can't get it some other way, that should create a demand in the marketplace which has to be allowed to flourish. If we start legislating it, it won't happen. Well, where's the well, one thing that I, I It's not there yet. Bill Gates is still selling his, his product at a price that people like and can afford. You know, and I speak as a person, as anyone who's, who's seen me around the office, and my complaining about Windows 95, <laughs> uh, I just hate that program. I, I prefer Windows 3.1 superbly, but it's not quite as powerful a program. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, that's not the issue. That's what we've got. That's what we've got to work with. And I'm waiting for the day that somebody sells complete packaged, integrated platform with their product type programs that, that, that are going to just walk by Bill Gates. Well, I, I read an article the other day that said exactly that, that Gates, that Gates has had his moment in the sun. And that as this technology continues to unfold, that the PCs will become a thing of the past. And yeah. the PCs are what his business is hung on. And even well, Microsoft. Fact, that, uh, like one of the things about Microsoft that, uh, that I can see as well is that uh, when Microsoft, you know, theoretically, or apparently they've recognized that the future is in uh, the Internet and all that. The PCs are, are passe or going to be passe. They're trying to get into the Internet. But when they, when they did that thing where they bundled uh, their, their uh, communication software with Windows, the response to that of the market was that America Online and Netscape then merged to compete with him. And, and that's how a healthy competitive economy works. And I think that that might just work itself out the same way as it used to be that, that uh, you know, 10 years ago, WordPerfect was the dominant um, uh, format oh, yeah, for word processing. Yeah, and you should have heard old people talking then about how they should be controlled in the marketplace. That's right. They've got, they've got it dominated. And if you wanted to have a word processor that you could communicate with other people, you better have word perfect. That's right. Well, and they were accused of unfair it's all, I talk to people today and they go, what's that? Yeah, I do. That's true. <laughs> well, I still use we it. We got the memo yesterday. We're switching to word. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to pause for a moment. This is Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, and we'll be back. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz. I'm Jim Chapman, and uh, John has been waiting to join us. Uh, we'll just make sure we've got all our buttons pushed here. Are we okay? All right. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I would like to give you a historical background on a similar situation as far as Bill Gates is concerned. My first comment is with regards to market forces. Mm -hmm. When market forces are manipulated, which they have been, mm -hmm. always have been, and always will be, it's not to the benefit of the public. Mm -hmm. But anyways, let me make an analogy. Do you guys remember um, Harry Ferguson? 
Not me. He, Harry Ferguson was a tractor inventor, agricultural tractor inventor. It became Matthew Ferguson in the end. Okay. But Porter used to be involved, and so did David Brown. Now, what Harry Ferguson did was he built a small economical tractor. But the, <laughs> how shall we say, the cunning that was involved in it was that whilst the tractor was a very good tractor as far as it being small and economically purchasable, he designed it so that it would only take his own agricultural instruments, like plows, like cutting bars, like uh, sure. arrows and things like that. Yep. So once you bought the tractor, then you were tied into having to buy the rest of the equipment that he made for his tractors. Right. Now, he invented a, a thing called a death control on the hydraulics which was the only tractor in the world at that particular time in history that had a depth control. In other words, the plow went so far in and it remained at that depth. It would never go any deeper or any higher. Right. And Ford, if you remember Ford's, well, Ford's brought out a tractor called the Ford Miner, mm -hmm. in which, and they had been in, in um, partnership with each other, had Ferguson and Ford, yeah. and then Ford very secretly uh, incorporated the depth control into the, the Ford Miner tractor. And so Harry uh, took Ford to task. And uh, he got literally hundreds of millions of dollars in compensation because it was a patent thief, eh? Right. Yeah. And at Liverpool Dock, all those tractors, there must have been over 1,500 of them, were on Liverpool Dock, ready for export to the States, and the Monopolies Commission and, and uh, the, the patent people moved in and froze them all, and, and the states didn't get any of them. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about manipulating the market. For heaven's sakes, gentlemen, let's be candid about this. The market forces are manipulated every day. Yes, you're and right, it's John. manipulated to the interests of the marketeers. No, I didn't get that impression from you at all, because the story you just told, you just said it was like the U.S. equivalent of the antitrust division that stopped his product from going into the U.S. That's a government manipulation, and you're right. All, all market forces are are people making free choices, and the only people who, who can really manipulate you is someone who can use force against you to make you buy something that you wouldn't have bought under your own free choice. And only the government does that. Yeah, but the, the point is this, when you put... When you promote a product and you say to the public, this is what you need, then that need becomes a want. But with regards to market for... I have but to what does that mean? I, what does that mean? That, 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 what are you trying to tell all me right, when you say that? That's, that's bad to want? Is okay, that what you're saying? Let's take, let's take the um, uh, grocery industry. I remember, back in 1976, I believe it was, around 1976, John, John, 1977, you... I had the occasion to have the good fortune to get the price listing of all the grocery products in the um, um, oh, AMP. And that was Hawkesbury, all through Ottawa, all through Toronto, all through London, now what's the point, all through John? Windsor. And what I found out was that as far as London was concerned, London paid the highest price for those individual products. In other words, Hawkesbury was as much as uh, 50 and 60 cents cheap on, on some items. London paid the highest price. And what I found it interesting, the excuse that was given was that London was the testing thing as far as market was concerned. Mm -hmm. See, but 
But then when you see, when you have one person who controls everything and controls a district and only that product can be sold in that district, then you have what I call manipulating of the market forces. All right, John, appreciate your calling your thoughts today. Uh, Bob, I want to ask, I have to come back to this, and I don't want to beat it to death, but I don't think you've answered this to my satisfaction, and it's my show. So I want an answer. We must satisfy you. I want an answer. So I want to come back to this Archer Daniels Midland equation again. We talked about here are the the only people on the planet who produce this particular product. What yeah. is it, by the way? It's uh, some kind of a lysine something or other that farmers need. It improves their crops or fattens their pigs or some such thing. Without it, and I don't have the exact figures, but without it, the farmers have significantly lower yields, which makes their survival more problematic. So, the reality is that there's this group of companies that are the only people on the planet who produce this stuff. Now, you, you've made the point that, well, somebody else can, can make it cheaper, and I agree in theory, but I say in practice it's not going to happen because they can break that guy's back at any time, and anybody with any brains is not going to go up against them. So, then you say to me, well, as long as the farmer will pay the price, there's nothing wrong with the price, so long as the farmer will pay the price. But that seems to fly in the face of what you also keep telling me uh, that there's got to be a choice here the farmer has the choice either to pay whatever this monopoly charges him he can't go to somebody else and say well what would you charge me for it and if he doesn't buy it his business suffers as a result he cannot then compete with the other guys with the other farmers i don't understand how that's how there's anything free in that exchange the seller has a choice too jim not just the buyer the two-way street, like in John's example, you know, he's saying a producer comes here and he does a test market. Well, yeah, he's testing his own market, his own product. Am I right? Yeah, is he, he ducking he this has, again, Jeff? Or what's well, well, do you not own what you produce? There. Isn't it yours? What if they decided not to sell it at all? What, what would we do then? Would we force them into forced labor and say, no, you must continue supplying? <laughs> no, but I... And there's always going to be people in the marketplace who cannot afford a particular product, regardless of what rules are in place. So, but, but does he have a choice so, or doesn't he have a choice? Well, where's his choice? Yeah. Well, yes I don't no? have a choice to go to the moon right now if I no, want. No, no, that's no, what no, you're no, asking. No, no, no. <laughs> Where is the choice of that individual? For you keep talking about the how choice important is choices. To pay the price or, or get out of the business. That's his choice, and that's the choice that a businessman faces every day of the week when he's looking at the price. So it's not a, so it's, so it's, so it's not a free market then because there's it's no a, competition. No, that, that, There's no competition the for his business. That's the control in the market everybody's There's looking no for. There's no competition for his business, then, is there? Well, yes, there is. Where's the competition? If somebody wants to undercut the guy and start selling, he can. There's no law in his way to stop him. But so it's all cannot, about laws, then? Well, no, okay, you, me, and Jeff, you think the three of us can get together and compete with Bill Gates and that we have a right to and that we have a oh, right to the market? Oh, now, wait a minute, Bob. I didn't say, say yes, that at all. Well, Somebody exactly will do that. The that's argument you're you're giving. No, it's but not exactly that. What I'm saying, I'm asking you to tell me how that farmer gets choice in that situation. Where is the market choice for that well, farmer? You're, no, you're asking me, how can that farmer have his cake and eat it? No, too? I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Because uh, what, <laughs> what you're saying is all of these guys are saying to each other, these suppliers, they're saying, we're not interested in competition. We don't want competition. Competition is bad for our business. The free well, market is bad for our business. So we're going to eliminate competition because we're the only guys that can make this product well, and we're not going to let anybody else thing, make it and we're all going to charge the same price. Even though company A maybe costs them a little more to make it, company B makes it maybe costs them a little less, so they're going to make a little more profit. But in the interest of all of us making lots of money, we don't care. Well, I fail to see, Bob, with all respect, where is the free market there? Where is the freedom there? 
we are rational people. Okay, let's look at it again. I'm going to take the same thing and look at it from a consumer's point of view. You said, okay, there's this big company, they got a monopoly, and they can undercut a new competitor who comes in. There will be no, there, I think we take it as by a given. No. By making the prices lower than what the new competitor can afford. For as long as it takes to put him out of business now, and the prices go up again. Okay, if we were smart consumers, and we can be because we can educate ourselves, we would know that this process was in place and that we would maintain our loyalty to the, to the small guy, like a lot of people do with local grocery stores. There's no small guy in this case. Well, yeah, well, you, you've already postulated him. And I'm just saying that the reason he doesn't survive isn't because of what the company's doing. It's because of what the consumer is doing. The consumer keeps going back to the other company. But they have no choice. You see, sure if, they have a choice. If he could, if he could tomorrow invest his billion dollars and the next day have his product on the market, then I would say you're right. The but he can't do that. The choice is that he can choose to pay the higher price for a short period of time so that he can assure himself of the lower price in the longer term. But if consumers continue to be greedy and continue to want short-term results, so if I go then into the store, guy, always going to be So if I go into the lysine store and say, and he say, you know, we've got a special on this week, we've cut the price by three quarters, but you're going to say, no, I want to pay the old price anyway? Well, that's not a normal choice. That's why I'm saying the, the control. Well, I mean, that's you're the talking around control. in circles here. You're going in circles yeah. here. As a consumer, you always want the lowest price, right? I would, I'm happy to have the lowest price. Well, actually, no. No, 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 no. Personally, as a consumer, no. That is not always my criteria. Well, then you're the perfect example of what I'm illustrating here. Then you would be the guy to go to the new cons competitor and say, there I'm going to support you. isn't a new you. competitor, Bob. There won't be a new competitor because the existing guys control the means of production. But what I'm saying is that the new competitor doesn't exist not because of the other guy whose production is being controlled. He doesn't exist because of consumers like you who won't go to him. He's not there yet. Well, that's the whole point. That's exactly, that's the whole point. And he'll never there, be once he'll never be there. Once he's there, then you've got a free market with that this kind of monopoly and this kind of product. No. It is not a free market. Freedom doesn't mean that everything has to exist. It only means that it can without the coercive Jeff, power get in of the here. state. Get Do in something. Yeah, well, he, he just looks like you're having you're a good time there. So you're, I'm getting, back. you're getting paid as much as he is. <laughs> get in here. Exactly. Well, and I think this comes back to the question of is it wrong to have a monopoly per se, or is it when they do particular things that seem like they're taking advantage of that monopoly? Is that when things go bad? Because I think there's an advantage. For instance, you look at the history of the United States from the 18. Hundreds uh, in the 1900s, it just just uh, exploded with productivity. It just went crazy with productivity. And some people would say that the reason for that was because they did insist on rigorous competition. And whenever it looked like a company was getting too big, they came in and they said, "You know, you got to split up, or you got to do this. Standard Oil's broken up, AT&T's, the railroads are broken up." Now, other people would argue that the reason the United States was so successful is because they allowed the development of these huge companies that were able to dominate world markets. And uh, frankly, I don't know <laughs> sort of where the answer lies, but there are those two arguments that I can sort of see. But I think that. Where I have a problem is that where a company has the power to do things that seem unfair, where they have the power to come in and because they know that the other company doesn't have nearly as much money as they do, um, they say, well, we're going to lower our prices dramatically for a year because we know the other company can't compete and we will drive them out of business. And that's the only reason we're doing it is to kill our competitor dead. That seems, that strikes me as being unfair somehow. And also it sort of plays into this idea that, well, you know, if they kill that competitor, who's going to put the brakes on them as far as prices? Who's going to make sure that they be fair? If there were benign monopolies, and, and I, I think it could be argued that there are some that maybe are benign, um, you, know, you know, you don't hear about them doing bad things all the time, but there are some huge companies out there um, that seem to put out a good product and uh, we buy their products and you don't hear about 
big problems with pollution and all that. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But if we hear about them, you know, doing these shady deals like the Archer Midland Daniels is always in trouble. Like one way or another, they're always in trouble and they're bringing in Brian Mulroney to try and negotiate fines because they don't even talk about guilt. It's just a question of how much money are we going to pay mm -hmm. here. And mm -hmm. it's a cost of doing business. When you hear about them doing this stuff over and over again about, about manipulating prices and the, and the difference I would suggest between governments and co these companies who are price fixing is that uh, governments are theoretically trying to get the lowest price they can given their inefficiencies whereas the objective of a monopoly is to get them when they're fixing a price they want to fix it high way higher than they need to uh, where I see those unfairnesses happening that's where I ran into trouble and I think that Gates for instance is a guy who until the last few years always seemed to get pretty good press like uh, you know there would be complaints about oh he stole uh, well with the Macintosh software you know he designs it and then he sort of copies it as Windows those things happen but by and large everybody saw him as sort of a amiable sort of a geeky guy you know but in the last couple of years his image has just gone gone dramatically down and I'm interested in why that is and it seems like people have eventually reached the point where they're saying you know you're doing these things sort of on and on and on do this little thing and that little thing to sort of take an unfair advantage we've had enough of that we're sick of it and it's interesting how once that happens once public opinion turns against you now you've got the expose books out and everything like it really comes after them um, but I think that's a classic example we've got a company with a terrific product they've done a wonderful job for years but they do these little sneaky things that eventually people just get tired of I, they're just doing what everybody else does and just because they're more successful and bigger than the rest we're all envious and we think that they're big evil people that's uh -huh. all it is no, I don't think so but we'll uh, talk about it in a second well, we'll go to the phones here with caller Dave hi Dave morning Jim Yes, sir. I'd like to just uh, touch on a product that we all use and might be a little more uh, closer to home than the lysine. What yeah. about gas prices? Mm -hmm. Boy, there's a monopoly. Now, you've got all these independent uh, oil companies. I mean, you've got Shell, you've got uh, you know, Petro-Canada, you've got Sunoco. Prices are all the same. Don't these guys ever uh, find a bonus oil field that can bring in the oil cheaper for us or something like that? No. Or they do, but they all have colluded to uh, sell at the same price. The only thing that I wonder about about that is that when, when the government bought Petro-Canada, I thought that the deal was going to be that the government was going to operate at the lowest price it could and we were going to get gas cheaper because they wouldn't have this collusion going on. You've got a government coming in and saying we're going to take Canadian oil, we're going to sell it at you know, a little above cost, uh, and everybody will profit from it, and, and yet it didn't seem to happen somehow, and I don't know why. I don't know anything about it. Because it's a bad idea. It's a, ba <laughs> it's a bad idea. It's well, a self I think that came in when the oil crisis was going on, and I think we were trying to maybe try and control our own destiny a little bit instead of be uh, held hostage or yeah, something. Well, that was a story they gave us. Yeah, that's, they're all stories. But, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you see, it does seem like they colluded to do the same price, but really what they're doing is competing, because everybody wants to charge the highest price possible. If the neighbor's price goes down, you got to lower your price. That's the whole working of the marketplace. And I find it always funny that people really complain about gas prices when, they're at, when they fluctuate a lot, which means we're getting a few deals here and there instead of them staying high. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they wonder why that's going on, because there's generally an oversupply for a short period of time. Yeah, but where that falls apart, Bob, though, is the difference between, say, London and St. Thomas, where, where gas will be a nickel cheaper in St. Thomas than in London. So there, what? There, no, but there's no difference in the supply. There's well, no difference but, but in the supply. But that's such a minor nothing. I mean, you could say that about the guy across the street. Sometimes when the prices are down here, the guy across the street didn't lower his mm -hmm. price. I've but seen as you, that a lot. as you keep talking about the consumer, what choice does the consumer have? He 
drives to St. Thomas to fill up and, and loses uh, any savings in, in the gas he uses to drive to St. Thomas. As a consumer, Dave, you, the only choice you ever have is what producers are willing to offer you. And so what we need as consumers is a heck of a lot more producers. And the one thing that stops producers is taxes. That's the biggest single thing that, that drives the price of everything up and, create, and decreases the number of producers and employers. Uh, David, I appreciate your okay. call today, Thank sir. You. Thank you. And Mark's with us. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jim. Yes, sir. Um, I haven't heard all of the conversation, but um, I, I've just missed little pieces. I, and and I, one thing strikes me is, is that, um, Bob, what he's saying really seems to be based on principle. Whereas when, sorry to criticize you, but when someone says, well, you know, I'm in favor of free markets some of the time, and, you know, it gets to be a very cloudy distinction mm -hmm. when government should interfere yes um and and i guess that's that's the problem i think it's better to base um ideas on principle and say that a free market is either a good thing or a bad thing mm -hmm. i unabashedly agree that it's a good thing mm -hmm. um one thing i wanted to ask you was in your criteria where a company has a monopoly and has a government regulation put on them say that they can only sell this product to farmers for, I don't know, $10 per gallon. Yeah. What's the government's obligation to this company if tomorrow new technology comes out that makes this product obsolete and say that there's another product that uh, yeah. can be sold for 30 cents a gallon? I don't, have, I don't have an answer for you because that's not my position, and nor is that what happened to Archer, Archer Midland ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. What happened to them was the government came along and said, you can't possibly tell us that your production costs are exactly the same as all these other companies around the world. You're all selling this for exactly the same price. There's something wrong here. There needs, it needs to be a free market, and that is not a free market. If you guys agree in advance that we're all going to charge the same amount, where's the market? This is well, where Bob and I are disagreeing. You see, and that's one of the problems that, that I'm having, one of, one of the little bits of confusion that I'm having listening to the program. You're throwing these criteria out to them. Well, what if a company has a monopoly and no other company can get in the market? But that's the reality in this situation. Well, no, it isn't. You're saying that there was other companies that they price-fixed with. Um, yeah. Which, which is it? Was there only one company no, that no. could produce the product, or no. did they... Did they uh, of course there were other companies, but the point was none of the other companies are in competition with each other. They're not competing. They're all producing the product. They're all selling the product at the same price. That's, in my, as far as I know, my limited education, that's not competition. So it's not a monopoly. It's, it's a, more of an oligopoly where they've colluded. Uh, well, price uh, fixing by both. definition is an, is an oligopoly. Yeah. That's right. You see, I look at it, if two companies get together and fix a price, well, in my mind, I regard them as one. So what? That's <laughs> fine. Pay the same price. Yeah. You That's know. fine. Okay. But if your Cheerios cost three times as much the next morning, then some people will say, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, and then I'll switch to Alphabet. <laughs> can, I, can I just make one comment? Sure. Yeah. Or, Jim? Yeah. I think that um, uh, what you're saying... Um, well, again, getting back to my original point, I think you have to base your views on principles, mm -hmm. and the principle of a free market tends to work out. When um, somebody raises questions about it, they always throw these really you know, unique curves and spins and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. and I, I find in real life that they don't tend to happen. Um, but they did happen in this situation. Happen all the time. Uh, well, I, I don't think they did. I, I, or at least I don't think they would if tomorrow a product comes out that, uh, that is dirt cheap 
that uh, renders them irrelevant. But now you do their best to prevent that yeah. from happening. That's their and whole And now you're, you're speculating. How often do we see that happen? Very infrequently. So you're, you're, oh, you're, I disagree. Right? I disagree. And, and, and the analogy along that you've been cheap. making is computer technology, and I think that's a perfect example. Well, nothing came along dirt cheap the next day and put anybody out of business, except possibly IBM because they didn't have their eyes open. I mean, prices went down, prices continue to go down, but if you're talking about a magic fix tomorrow that puts these companies out of business, I, I challenge you to tell me the last time that happened. Well, I, I can't tell you the last time that it happened, but I'll give you a very famous example. Right. You were talking about um, uh, the uh, uh, steel producers in the uh, United States, especially in the early uh, part of this century. Mm -hmm. um, they were under a lot of uh, pressure for uh, supposedly colluding, mm -hmm. and um, the aluminum market almost put them out of business overnight. Well, I'm, I'm, not, familiar with that. That. I'm not familiar <laughs> with that piece of history. I'd have to look that one up. Well, it's, it's, it's a uh, uh, sort of an analogy that people give in relation to um, uh, the trial that Bill Gates is going through right now. Well, it's one I'm unfamiliar with. I have to look into that. But, Mark, I thank you for your call. Yep, thank you, Take Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be back in a second, and I'm going to keep trying to get an answer from Mr. Metz. Okay, we got people waiting, and I do want to get you on the air, but I'm desperate to try to get an answer out of my good friend, Mr. Bob Metz. Now, Bob, I'm going to, I'm going to change the situation a little bit from, from Archer Daniels, Midland, and Lysine, okay? Because you say they set the price as long as the farmer will pay the price, no problem, another guy can set up so-and-so. Your old Fairmont's about to die. Your old car's about to give up the ghost. How'd you, you know that? <laughs> because, you, because you told me. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got a few presuppositions here, but I don't think there are any that are unreasonable. Uh, you do need a car to get to work. There is no public transit where you live. It's too far for you to walk. Not unreasonable. There could be somebody could find themselves in that situation quite easily. Okay. Now, you need a particular kind of automobile to carry the product you have and so on and so on in order for you to enable you to do your job. So you go to the car dealer um, and the price of this automobile is, uh, oh, for the sake of argument, it's twice what the automobile it replaced cost. It's the newest model, but suddenly the price is twice as much. Now, you know, because you're an intelligent man, that their costs have not gone up twice as much because you've been following the labor settlements and the wages and the supply of steel and all that sort of stuff. So you know... I don't think that tells me anything. Well, well okay, whatever you had this to do... This is a fairy tale you're, you're No, 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 you're it's not. No, the point here. I'm trying to make is there's only one automobile available to you. There's only one automobile. Nobody is making the car that you want or the type of car you want for any less than this fixed price. They're all the same price. Every one of them is the same price. And it's twice the price of the cars they all built last year because they all decided if Bob, Bob Metz wants this car and Jeff Schlemmer and Jim Chapman, everybody wants this particular car, let's put the price up and none of us are going to undercut each other. Is that a free market? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Where's your freedom within that market? I, in a free market, doesn't mean you have the right to get any product you want at a price affordable to you. That's no. got nothing to do with a free market. That's, that's just a fact of life. If I want to sell you... But where's your competition? You keep talking about competition. Well, you, there's no competition in the example you gave. Exactly. You gave me this fairy tale example of one car, one price. Well, that would presuppose that we've got one government setting the prices, because that would never happen in a free market. It happened with Archer Daniels Midland with Lysine. No, it did not happen, Jim. Uh, Jim, I'm going to have to ask you a big favor here. All right. Um, you told me no last week. I wasn't here last week. Or two weeks ago, sorry. <laughs> uh, remember that I said I'd like to read a poem. Yes. It's kind of like Dr. Seuss. All right. And I think it's going to answer your question. How long is it? It's three minutes. 
And I know that's a long time, you said, to invest, but hey, you get to read your Chapman columns and all that stuff, so I think the folks will enjoy have it. Have you got it here? I have it here. You read away. And it's called Tom Smith and His Incredible Bread Machine, written by a fellow named R.W. Grant. I've heard this, by the way. Oh, good. Okay. But I think this will speak directly to everything we've been talking about all today. Right. This is a legend of success and plunder, and a man, Tom Smith, who squelched world hunger. Now, Smith, an inventor, had specialized in toys. So people were surprised when they found that instead of making toys, he was making bread. The way to make bread, he'd conceived, cost less than people could, could believe. And not just make it. This device could, in addition, wrap and slice. The price per loaf, one loaf for many, the minuscule sum of under a penny. Can you imagine what this meant? Can you comprehend the consequent? The first time yet, the world well fed, and all because of Tom Smith's bread. A citation from the president for Smith's amazing bread, this and other honors, too, were heaped upon his head. But isn't it a wondrous thing how quickly fame is flown? Smith, the hero of today, tomorrow scarcely known. Yes, the fickle years passed by, Smith was a millionaire. But Smith himself was now forgot, though bread was everywhere. People, asked from whence it came, would very seldom know. They would simply eat and ask, was it not always so? However, Smith cared not a bit. For millions ate his bread, and everything is fine, thought he. I'm rich, and they are fed. Everything was fine, he thought. He reckoned not with fate. Note the sequence of events starting on the date on which the business tax went up. Then, to a slight extent, the price of every loaf rose, too, up to one full cent. What's going on, the public cried. He's guilty of pure plunder. He has no right to get so rich on other people's hunger. A prize cartoon depicted Smith with fat and drooping jowls, snatching bread from hungry babes, indifferent to their howls. Well, since the public does come first, it could not be denied that in matters such as this, the public must decide. So antitrust now took a hand. Of course, it was appalled at what it found was going on. The bread trust, it was called. Now, this was getting serious. So Smith felt that he must have a friendly interview with the men from antitrust. So, hat in hand, he went to them. They've surely been misled. No rule of law had he defied. But then their lawyer said, the rule of law in complex times has proved itself deficient. We much prefer the rule of men. It's vastly more efficient. Now let me state the present rules, the lawyer then went on. These very simple guidelines you can rely upon. You're gouging on your prices if you charge more than the rest, but it's unfair competition if you think that you can charge less. A second point that we would make to help avoid confusion, don't try to charge the same amount. That would be collusion. You must compete, but not too much, for if you do, you see, then the market would be yours. And that's monopoly. Price too high or price too low? Now, which charge did they make? Well, they weren't loath to charging both with the public good at stake. In fact, they went one better. They charged monopoly. No fuss, no muss. Oh, woe is us, he gad, they charged all three. Five years in jail, the judge then said. You're lucky it's not worse. Robber barons must be taught society comes first. Now, bread is baked by government. And as might be expected, everything is well controlled, the public well protected. True, loaves cost a dollar each, but our leaders do their best. The selling price is half a cent. Taxes pay the rest. I have no problem with that. 
Well, then why would you argue what you're arguing because with? Because that, that's got that's nothing exactly, whatsoever. It's that's not, exactly got what nothing whatsoever to do with it. Why would you say that? Absolutely nothing. Because it's predicated early in the thing. You pointed out that he was very proud and happy that he'd done this because it meant he could feed people for less than a penny a loaf. Well, so was Bill Gates proud and happy that he created windows. We're talking about Bill Gates. Windows. We're talking about Archer Daniels well, Midland. Archer Daniels Mid Midland could, could make the bread for a half a cent and sold it with everybody else for the, for the dollar you're talking about. Well, that's, that's still his choice, though. It's the same principle in well, that's what that's what the last caller was saying. I don't think the it's benevolent. The same. It doesn't sound no. as benevolent to me. You know, I'm Tom Smith wasn't benevolent selling it at half a cent. He was making a lot of money you on it. Sound like a great guy. I wish they were all like you. Okay. <laughs> well, no, because you see, you're talking about the price, and I'm pointing out that Tom Smith may, became a rich millionaire, probably overcharging even at one half a cent. But it was something people could afford, mm -hmm. and they paid it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm saying. The principle is the same. Don't. But then why didn't he charge a dollar? Because obviously they could afford that when the government charged the dollar. Because he should have charged the dollar. Because then he would have sold hardly any, bre any bread. So nobody's buying bread now? Well, nobody's buying bread now. And, and at the end of the example, they're buying bread at the same price, but government taxes and everything else is subsidizing no. the rest. You know, if you, took, if you changed the word bread here and put in its place... Uh, Things like uh, health care, education, cable TV. You get no uh, argument from me, but this, is, know, th but this is a specious argument d relative well, to what we were talking about, the lack of competition. Why are you so worried about two companies getting together, colluding on their price of their measly little product, when we have here in Canada a government that colludes no, no, on prices of point. things that are more important it's to us? It's not the point. Than, than it's not the life. point. It's <laughs> not the, the point to me is you keep telling me about a, an unfettered market is the best for all concerned. Ultimately, is the, the unseen yeah. hand will benefit everybody. My, my confusion is that that doesn't look like an unfettered market to me. They're doing their best to fetter. Well, That's their goal. Uh, well, they have, they have fettered the market, and you're defending them for having well, done that. I'm, I'm saying because, no, they look, look at it this way. They can, they can only fetter the market to the extent that the market will tolerate their, fe their fettering of their market, by the way, yeah. not the whole planet. Or the marketplace, which, by the way, is another reason why we need a lot of international trade. Well, so but, the in big fact, they, but in fact, this was a, this was an international uh, cartel that did this. It doesn't and matter. And they don't disagree that they did it. <laughs> they, they, they say, sure, we did it. Of course, we well, did. They pay a fine. It's costing business, and they continue to roll. Well, on. I, I, and I don't think that they, in their minds, really think they did anything wrong. And I, oh no, 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 no. You should have read the article because in the article they've got verbatim quotes from these guys saying we gouged these people and we're glad we did it. They're the enemy, and we got to we will beat well, them every time we can. I've been in board rooms where they were using militaristic terms like that to describe economic concepts as well. And it wasn't that they regarded the customer as the enemy. It was an economic thing. The okay. customer is your enemy. He wants a lower price. You want to charge a higher price. All right. Let's go back to the phones where Ed's with us. Hi, Ed. Hello, Ed. Are you there? We've lost Ed. Uh, we say hello to Martin. Hello, Martin. Hi there. Yes, sir. Um, I have a couple of comments about uh, Bill Gates and the antitrust suit. Well, that's not really where we are here, and we're just about out of time. Can you give us kind of the gist of what you want to say? Yeah, well, the gist is that, that people aren't going after Bill Gates strictly because he's successful and not strictly because it's a monopoly. It's because he's engaged in predatory business practices. I mean, things that are nothing short of criminal. That's why they're going after him. What's yeah. the criminal yes, act? Well, he's, uh, he's entered into contractual agreements with software developers to co-develop and explore new software ideas. Then he backs out of deals, pays a minor pen penalty that's stipulated in the contract, and then develops the idea. And when they try to sue him, they can't. They can't win against his lawyers because it's too expensive because they're just small independent guys. He's done that repeatedly. Um, he deliberately cripples competition software by creating uh, deliberate incompatibilities uh, so that their software 
won't work well with their software. So WordPerfect uh, didn't always work very well with uh, Windows 3.1 because things weren't going too well between those two companies because they were developing Microsoft Word. Um, There's all kinds of emails uh, saying about this. The, uh, See, what I hear here is, is a tremendous failure on the part of the courts to uphold contractual rights. Well, that's <laughs> right. But, but that's got nothing to do with Bill Gates. So well, that's, 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 that's my point. Uh, he has not been playing fairly. Well, uh, he, he also has put in exclusionary clauses forbidding manufacturers and assemblers of PCs to sell the com competition's well, well, operating hang, systems. Hang on a sec, Martin. You're saying he's not playing fairly. How did he win the cases in court? Just by having a better better lawyer? I think there had to be some kind of no, case. No, he lost, he's lost, he, he lost, he lost, lost those, He lost the cases. Well, then but why? he can pay it out of petty cash. Well, yeah, that's right. So He can afford it. it, it the, the money that he made... Uh, in, in, the, in the meantime, more than covered anything that he, he paid in legal bills. Proceeds right. of crime. Right. Well, uh, and and there, he also puts in exclusionary clauses forbidding manufacturers to, uh, who assemble PCs uh, to sell the, um, the competition's operating systems. So if I make and assemble uh, PCs and I want to sell what I know most people want, which is Microsoft Windows, I'm not allowed to sell OS2 and Warp and, and any other type of operating system. Well, that that is a market issue. I don't think that's a thing you can do anything about. That's Bill Gates' right to do that. Yeah, you can't buy a Ford at a Chrysler dealer either. Right. Martin, we've run out of time, but I appreciate your thoughts today. Okay, thank you. Guys, a good one today. Thank you. Yeah, thank and, and I'm thank still you, I'm still unconvinced, though, Bob. Well, Maybe we're going to have to take this ever. up on another day. <laughs> uh, my thanks to Jeff Schlammer and Bob Metz for making this edition of Left, Right, and Center as interesting as it always is on tomorrow's program. Uh, Len Lesser joins us. He's our educational expert. We're going to talk about the new high school standards. Uh, also, the Sikhs, uh, the Sikh culture, some of them bringing their fight in India to Canada. What can we do about this, and how concerned are many members of the Canadian Sikh community? Very concerned. They don't want it to happen. We've got Phil Edmonston, the lemonade guy. We've got a story about the race to find a cure for influenza and a whole bunch of other stuff. So please join us. For all the folks here, it's Jim saying take care of each other. Mind how you go, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.